I want to read a passage from the book of Jeremiah that we have been in together and then a passage from Matthew chapter 6. So Jeremiah chapter 17 and you'll also be finding Matthew chapter 6. Now these are the same two passages we were in together a week ago but as we've been studying through the book of Jeremiah I feel like we've come to a place that uh, we just need to, to, to stop for a little while and really allow God to do a work in us and among us. Now, a little bit like calisthenics, I just told you to be seated. If you're able, you can stand for the reading of God's Word. So Jeremiah chapter 17, beginning in verse 5. Thus says the Lord, cursed is the man who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength, whose heart turns away from the Lord. God says, if you'll live like that, here's what will happen. He's like a shrub in the desert, shall not see any good come. He shall dwell in the parched places of the wilderness, in an uninhabited salt land. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is in the Lord. He's like a tree planted by water that sends out its roots by the stream and does not fear when the heat comes, for its leaves remain green and is not anxious in the year of drought, for it does not cease to bear fruit. Heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? I, the Lord, search the heart. And then together in Matthew Chapter 6, beginning in verse 25. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life. Let's pray together. Father, in your word, you, you reveal to us that those who trust in you those who trust in you would not be anxious in the year of drought. And then we have our Lord Jesus telling us not to be anxious about your life. So we need help with these things, Lord. Give us grace today to, to everything that we, that we think and study and say is is rooted in Scripture. We don't need advice. We need the living Word of God to be active in our lives. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, uh, you, you see the title of the message there, Why Are So Many Young People Anxious and How Can We Help? Um, it it might have been better to just say, Why Are So Many People Anxious? And how can God help? That, that would probably be, be the better uh, title. Anxiety is common. You have to raise your hand. How many of you feel anxious? I mean, we can, we can agree. A lot going on in the world, amen? I mean, a lot. And anxiety is, is widespread. And that is true across the board. But more and more alarms are being sounded that Particularly among young people, anxiety is intense. It's reaching a crisis point. 
One of the most troubling sort of trends and trajectories in the country today, for, for example, from 2009 to 2021, the percentage of American high school students, for example, who say they, quote, feel persistent feelings of sadness or hopelessness was at 26% in 2009 to 44% last year. And that, that's the highest, that's the highest level of, again, using the phrase in the study, persistent feelings of sadness and hopelessness. It's not like I've had a rough day, more like I'm always feeling sad. I'm always feeling hopeless. And, and yet now we open up our Bibles and Jesus is telling us not to be anxious. Maybe that just makes you feel more anxious, right? God said, don't be anxious. Is that what he's saying? Just quit it. Stop it. No, that's not what he's saying. If we look carefully in verse 25, therefore, in other words, what I've been talking about, as we'll talk about this morning, the result of that is you'd not be anxious. Now, many of us would admit to saying, man, I'm anxious. Do you know who's not anxious? Jesus is not anxious. Isn't that good news? Jesus is not anxious. His kingdom is not an anxious kingdom, but, but we want to understand these things correctly because Jesus is not offering us a coping mechanism, but, but he details a heart that can be transformed that, as Jeremiah says, is not anxious in the year of drought. Now, here's where I need help. Sometimes my hope is in there won't be a drought. Anybody with me? Man, things will just get better. Things will improve. The economy will improve. Gas prices will come down. But that's not what God says in his word. He doesn't say, don't be anxious because there won't be any drought. It's not what he said. He says, you won't be anxious in the, not week, not three weeks, in the year of drought. In other words, there will be seasons where it feels as if there's no end in Sight. Hey, if you're in Matthew 6, we're here in the Sermon on the Mount. And earlier, Jesus says in verse 14 of chapter 5, You, speaking of his followers, are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. In the same way, let your light so shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Well, um, if you're going to live as light in the world, in a dark world, we're talking about contrasts, right? Light contrasts darkness. So one of the ways we want to think about it is an effective witness for Christ in an anxious generation is someone who's unanxious, has stability, peace, and joy in the Lord. And we can also agree on this. I want to say this on the front end. We're not going to see help by continuing to do what we've been doing, right? You've probably heard this. What's the definition of insanity? Doing the same thing over and over again and expecting a different result. So I, I, in other words, I know if I'm really wrestling with anxiety, I can't just keep going in the same direction that I've been going. I want to start with this, with the question, and that is, why are so many young people anxious? Why are so many young people anxious? Well, just kind of thinking it through, 
one, one of the ideas out there, it's not prominent, but it suggests that they're really not more anxious than previous generations, right? I mean, growing up has always been hard. How many of you are smooth sailing, 11, 12, 13 years old? Man, if I had to go back to Benvenu Middle School, right? It's always been hard. And in the world we live in right now, it's, it's, a little, um, it's a little more likely that you'd admit that you feel anxious than previous generations, right? I mean, cer- certain ones of us were grown up and said, if, if you ever say you're anxious, for me growing up, it'd just be like, man, what's, just get your act together, right? Man up. Is that the reason? Just more likely to admit, well, honestly, part of me would like to say, yeah, I, th- I think that's it. But specific measurements that we could use have dramatically risen, like self-harm and suicide skyrocketed in the last generation. Suicide rates, especially among preteen girls, self-harm, not self-reported. We're talking about hospital admissions for older teen girls go up 80% between 2012 and 2015. So it's not just we'll admit to it a little bit more. So, um, hey, uh, we're called to be light in the world. This matters. It matters. It matters what our uh, young people are going through. Um, so so talk, talk a couple of things. Number one, you, uh, one, one reason I want us to talk about is that, and you already know this, tech, technology, 100% game changer. 100% game changer. Um, you, you could put two charts side by side, and you probably already know this. You probably already thought, well, you already read the title, and you knew that this was going to come up. So you can put two charts side by side. Chart number one, the percentage of young people who have a smartphone, right? And, and you see that trajectory rise between 2009 and 2021. Right, iPhone comes out 2007, takes a couple of years to become prominent, and then boom. So, so one, you would just see the trajectory rise. And you know what the second chart is? The number of young people who report feeling anxious with persistent feelings of sadness and hopelessness. You, if you took the titles from the charts away, you'd say it's the same chart. Why? why? Because tech is 100% a game changer. I want to put a picture on the screen. Here was my phone growing up. Anybody with me? Right? The rotary phone. Uh, 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 you, you, you click one number at a time. This happened to be all the time. You get four numbers into your digit and get the wrong one. You got to start all the way over again. Right? Click, 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 click. Um, I've, I've told you this before. I grew up with a dad who, if it worked, we were good. He didn't need the latest thing. So it was like well into the 90s, and I got this phone, this technological marvel, Right? With, with the heaviest handle in the world. It was a phone and defense weapon, right? Now, on, on this phone, you'd, you'd punch in a d- digit at a time. And back then, you either had to write the number down or memorize it, right? You remember, you used to know, you used to know 40 phone numbers. You couldn't even name your child's phone number today because you just put their name in and boom, there it is, right? So 
I remember uh, my mom worked for the phone company, and we were sitting at Pizza Hut. I don't know why I remember this so clearly. And working for the phone company, I don't even think she used the word internet. She just said, something's coming, and she began to describe how it was going to be this inner related network that you're going to connect to other people. And one of the applications of it, she said, because this is why I remembered it, I thought this was unbelievable. She said, you can sit in your room and play a video game with your neighbor two doors down. I just thought, that's the most amazing thing ever. And that seems so silly now, right? Because tech's 100% a game changer. Do you know what we did with this phone? We called people and talked to them. Some of you can remember the phone ringing, and you didn't know who it was. Like the phone's ringing, but, but then we kind of learned, I would know if it was 10 till 5, the phone rang, it was my mom, right? She's going to come home from work, probably going to ask me, what do, what do you want to eat? And I, and, or, or if she hadn't called, I would call her, right? And say, hey, can you bring Burger King on the way home? Mom, can you go by the store to get milk and Briar's Neapolitan while you're at it? And Oreo, if you got enough room in the car, and a pack of baseball cards, right? A little bit later in the 90s, I'd pick it up, is heart thumping, is Julie there? I, I can remember, I can remember calling her house, pleading with the Lord that she would pick up. I, didn't, I mean, I love my father-in-law now, but I was like, I was just intimidated. Sometimes y'all did this. Before caller ID, you'd call, they'd pick up, and I'm not quite ready, I'm not quite ready. I just want to see if they were home. What can you do with your phone now? Get up to the second news. Get your current resting heart rate. Scan Instagram. Check your stocks. Check the score of the game. Snap a picture. Check Instagram again. See how many calories you've burned. Take a selfie. Edit it. Send it. A thousand other things. You could be doing that right now. Some of you are doing that right now. It's always like to say, I can see you. So we've kept the same word, phone, but they're not the same things at all. It's not a phone now. It's an attention-addicting, worldview-shaping, values-establishing life controller if you're not careful. That's what it is. That's what we mean now when we say, I've got a phone. Man, the, when I say uh, tech is a 100% game-changer, what I mean is that phones have 100% changed the social life of young people. Now, uh, this isn't... Uh, Let's just berate the, the world as it is now because of phones. But we got to think it through because the rate of things happen in the world where major decisions are made with not a lot of discernment. That's why we're talking about it. So the mental health and anxiety rise dramatically beginning in 2013. It changed dramatically and, and it's kept going. And here's some of the things that mental health studies show. You fill in the blank. You'll probably be able to do this. The more you use your phone, the more depressed you are. It's a direct correlation between the amount of time you spend on social media and likelihood of being depressed. Now, I'm not saying that everybody that's on their phone is, is depressed, 
But I am pointing you to Jesus says, therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life in this correlation, that the things that he says help you fight against anxiety are the very things that are crowded out by hours spent on the device. In 2019, they paid people to come off their phones. This was, this was a, a study about social media's effect. And so people were paid to spend more time offline. And the, and the amazing thing was that when they did so, it had a huge effect. They felt better. In, in fact, at the end of the study, whether they did this or not, I don't know. But the vast majority said, after taking an extended break, I'm not going to go back, right? So let's just put some thoughts together, man. When it comes to the phones, they are attention addicting. And here's the danger, especially among young people. This, this, the season of life, you know, there are seasons to life, right? The fun part in my house right now, raising children, we're in every season. 17, 15, 11, 8, and 8 weeks. It's like the weather. We get every season in the day, right? Kind of like living here in North Carolina. We got some summer, we got some fall, we got some spring, we got some, we got, we got it all going on right now. And there's a season of life. Adolescence, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14 years old, and your brain is developing. Life, listen to me, lifelong habits of how your brain functions how it thinks, and how it can think. Attention, capacity, developing in this season of life, so you have to discern whether it's wise to hand a child with that developing brain in that season, because when we talk about tech being a game changer, the touch screen is a game changer. It's interactive now. When I was growing up, do you know, you've heard this joke before, but it was true in my life. Do you know who the TV remote was? Me. Click, 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 right? Go change the channel and then something about hold the rabbit ears and hold up your leg and maybe the signal will be better. It's not interactive. The TV show that was on, you can sit there and watch it. We liked pro wrestling when I was growing up. TBS, Saturday, Little House on the Prairie was after that. Now, I love Little House on the Prairie now, but back then, turn it off, go outside, whatever. Video games, tech that's interactive. So here's a test. Here's a test. Raising a child, you are a child, and really all of us. A test today. You go home, put your phone in the car, walk inside, and then watch yourself. Can you do it? You say, oh, it's no problem. You just, just test. Just try it. And, and if you find yourself phantom grabbing. You know what I mean? God is, it's addictive. It's addictive. Now, if we just took the labels off for a moment and didn't get specific and just said, oh, there's something going on that's producing a mental health crisis among young people. And if you can correlate the study, you see, would you just say, ah, it's no big deal. It's no big deal. And there is something about the tech change that makes you kind of turn in on yourself and become self-absorbed. You can post pictures of yourself. Sometimes you post pictures of yourself for other people to rate. The like button is a scoreboard. 
I was thinking about it the other day because uh, it's this time of year when school would end. And there were certain of my friends that I wouldn't see again until August or September when school started. And I had no idea what they were doing in the summer. I had my neighborhood friends. But now the deal is that if you've got a phone, you can kind of know what everybody's doing all the time. If you've been included, if you've been left out, if you got as many likes as so on and so forth. And, and so it begins to be this, uh, you can see why anxiety rises, right? Because the time spent is displacement. You know what displacement means, right? You can't be doing two things at once. So if you're on the device, as the studies suggest, five to seven hours a day, 40% of waking hours for young people, that displaces times with friends in person, I mean, and, and family. You say, well, social media is spending time with friends. It's not really. Not really. And it's an open door to all sorts of harmful anxiety-producing problems. If nobody's told you this yet or not, and I'm not saying this to everybody online, but there's some dark things online, y'all. Some seriously dark things online. I tell my children, I put it this way, y'all, it's not really what you go looking for, it's actually what goes looking for you. And I think in last generation, you wouldn't have dropped your children off at the mall knowing there's a couple of those stores if they go in there, all manner of things. Let's just call them out. Violent things. Sexual things. Online. Interactive screen. Not serious. It's having a devastating effect. I mean, again, I'm not here to just harp on things. I'm concerned for my children and the next generation. One of the major concerns I have is, um, remember the fighter verse for a couple of weeks ago? Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked or stand in the path of sinners or sit in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. So one of the front lines of what we're actually talking about is, a, a godly person who has a hunger for the things of God is, is evidenced by someone who meditates on the word. That person will be like a tree firmly planted. Sounds a lot like Jeremiah 17, right? Firmly planted by streams of living water, which yields its fruit in its season. But if we're not careful, and it's not just a young person, but it's all of us, our attention span is shortening to the point that we're not able to meditate on the things of God. When you pray, verse 5, when you pray, and you're not going to spend five to seven hours a day on the device and have a robust prayer life. It's just not. It's just not going to happen. And and really, it's never put this way, but in verse 9 of chapter 6, pray then like this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done. There is something about the phone that makes all of your life about your name. It's what we're doing. Hey, here's my post. Would you hallow my name? Because my kingdom is going to come and my will is going to be done. I'll give you a couple of personal stories just for my own life. Man, I, I will tell you that... Uh, Bimbenu <laughs> Middle, I kind of tease about, and I tease about it now. But back then, it 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 was, it was my life. I'm sitting at the table before school starts. Uh, parents would drop you off, and you have some time in the cafeteria before the bell rings, right? And then you're going to go to homeroom. So all the kids are gathered there, and some of us doing homework or whatnot. And I, I was just sitting there, 
talking to another buddy of mine, and, and this girl sits down across the table from me. Sits right across the table. She kind of gets my attention. And I look up, and she looked me in the eyes, and she said, you are so ugly. You're so ugly. This is mean, hurtful. I'm, I'd barely ever talked to this girl in my life. I was completely thrown for a loop. Had no idea where it was coming from. I mean, middle schoolers can be mean, right? Here's the point, though. I'm not saying it's right, but she did say it to my face, and that hurt. The phones actually weaponize the meanness. Weaponize it. So, so now, if, if I'm in sixth grade and someone's willing to say that to my face, the Internet allows a degree of anonymity. And now the parameters of meanness off the charts. Right when, right when a, a child is learning the, how, how valuable they are, their identity. I carried that with me the whole week. But here's one of the benefits I had. The school day ended and I could go home. <laughs> Step off the bus. I, I can remember stepping into my home, closing the door and going like this. <sighs> At least I've got a break. I have to deal with it, but I'll deal with it tomorrow. I, I heard this one time and I've never forgotten it. You give a child a phone and the whole school comes home with them. There's never a break. It's never a time. You, you know this with your work, most likely. You're never really away from work. You know, people can reach you all the time. That's one thing for that true to be true for work, but your social life, just never have a break, never able to disconnect, never going to regroup. Second counsel that I received, because we all ask, right? When, when do you give a child a phone? When should you give a child a phone? And I heard... Uh, Someone say one time, you, you give a child a phone when you're ready for them to no longer be a child. And there is some truth to that. Actually, there's a lot of truth to that. I know, again, I'm not trying to, I know the world we live in. We, we, but your child, here, here's what I would say. I would say this, don't ever, 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 ever give a child, I'm talking about 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14 years old, access without oversight now here's the caveat they're going to figure that thing out better than you do they're going to know that thing better than you do um here, here's another question that comes up as a dad we've all wrestled with this a child will come but here's the question don't you trust me oh man that's a that's an important question isn't it and here's where i have to be shaped more by what god's word says about me than anything else. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? So sometimes kids will raise the stakes, right? Don't you trust me? Here's my answer. No. And I wouldn't have trusted myself either. I'm not here to, oh man, I've given a God-given responsibility. 
There's so many great things about tech, right? We got to be wise. Second story, briefly. I wasn't at Benvenu Middle anymore. I was at Edwards Junior High, eighth grade, standing in line. I mean, I really did try to go through life not bothering anybody. I thought that this is the way the world would work. I don't bother anybody. Nobody will bother me. But it doesn't really work that way. I was standing in line to get my daily diet of pizza and waffle fries. I went to school prior to the health conscience phase, right? I was just standing there. And then the, the, the biggest, baddest, meanest toughest guy at Edwards Junior High looked at me. He was sitting at the table, looked at me, and began, began to say all manner of things to me that I couldn't repeat. And again, I was like, what is going on? He started to say all sorts of things that he was going to do when the, the school day was over. Completely caught off guard again. And, and this went on for a couple of days. I tried not to go into the cafeteria. Can I just stay in the classroom, right? And thankfully, about the third day, another guy who was a friend of mine, a little bit older than me, was sitting with him, and he intervened, and he said, man, just leave him alone. Just leave him alone. And he did. But for those 48 hours, and I was super stressed. And I just imagine if I had a phone and went home, and now this guy's messaging me, right? Tech's 100% game changer. Look with me in Matthew chapter 6. We'll, we'll, we'll do this more next week. Matthew 6 verse 1. Just think about it from this perspective, how tech influences these principles. Verse 1, beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. But isn't one of the strong impulses of tech in order to be seen by other people? Here's what I'm doing. Here's what I'm up to. And if you're not careful, it gets distorted and twisted. That you just you really begin to, that's how you live life, right? Verse 2, thus when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues. You're called of God to be somebody who gives to others. Tech has a way of making your life seem all about you. When you pray, verse 5, when you pray, don't be like the hypocrites, when you pray, verse 6, go into your room and shut the door. In other words, remove yourself from distractions. But, man, there's something about tech that makes all of life a distraction. One, guy, one book I read said, we live in a state of constant partial attention. So we've always, kind of, here's where I am, but here's what I'd want to be thinking about. When you pray, when you fast, verse 16. Verse 19, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth. Where your treasure, verse 21 is, where your treasure is, that's where your heart is. The eye is the lamp of the body. I mean, think about the things that you see online. The eye is the lamp of the body. You cannot serve two masters. Verse 25, therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life. Second possible, probable explanation and because the world has changed, and there are so many um, ominous, threatening-feeling things, parenting has changed. We're going to talk about this for a moment. Well, maybe I'll pose the question this way. At what age were you 
when your parents opened the front door and said, go out and play, and you entered a world of play that was unsupervised directly by the adults. Most likely, if you were born before 1982, that happened around five, six, seven years old, right? And that's, that's true for me. Got on my bike, summer of eight, nine, ten years old. My parents didn't really know where I was. Is that what happens now? No, and it's valid. Because the world has changed. The world is different. So, so understanding the world has changed, we do want to talk about uh, something important, though. And that is parents, we don't want to prioritize accommodation over accountability. So just hang with me for a moment so I can explain what we mean that, by that. Because the world has changed, a parental impulse, and man, it is so understandable, is to, is to protect our children, to keep them safe. But that's a fine line between that and removing any and all obstacles for them. That's what I mean by accommodation. So for example, child brings home a paper, English class, they got a D on it. I know what my daddy would have said. What's wrong with you? Today, if we're not careful, what do we say? What's wrong with that teacher? Changed, right? Accommodation. If my child has a barrier, it's my responsibility to remove it. So let's, this is fine balance here, so let's talk it through. Chronic stress is bad. Some stress is not. Say it again. Chronic stress, like a, a bully at the school who's, I got it out for you, that, that, or dealing with overwhelming things all the time. That's, and that's what a parent has to see to, but, but some, or, or maybe you think about it this way. We can kind of go back to the 1982 dynamic. And listen, kids, kids today, the way I always think about it is, what they struggle with are the same things you would struggle with if you're older, if you were their age right now. It's not a deficiency on their part. Describe the playground at your school if you were born before 1982. You know what my playground was? It was a metal beam about the size of this, height of this sanctuary. Two ropes dropped. Climb them. <laughs> Monkey bars, as high as the chandelier. Climb them. The merry-go-round, made of metal and razor blades. I'm just kidding. I'm just, just kidding about the razor blades. But a, but a child is learning to take risks. To say, I can do that. I'm not quite up for that. I can climb this high up. I can remember, you know, I think I need to climb a little bit back down. Here's what I can do. Here's what I shouldn't do. Now, man, playgrounds are made of, of pillows. And I understand, see, we, we, all, we understand why. Everything has to be safe. And in order to ride a bike now, we make our children like they're going to go deep sea diving, right? I mean, here's all the equipment. And, and again, I understand why. But parents have got to learn to handle it if their child is anything but celebrated. So another example. So let's, let's talk about the parents for a moment. Again, the distinction, 
And when I was growing up, the parents came to my baseball game, and they watched the game. And when I struck out, my dad said to me, try harder next time. We'll work on it when we get home. Now a parent sits there and the child strikes out. They're ready to go after the umpire. He swung and missed it. What do you want me to do? You know? I read this week that in the last three years, the number of youth sports leagues, umpires and referees has declined by 30%. Would you do it? Would you sign up? So what's happening, who's got the responsibility? We do. We're raising a generation where the benefits of adulthood are given to kids with none of the corresponding responsibilities of adulthood. Does that make sense? So if you're a parent paying for the phone but demanding no accountability with what's done with the phone, paying for the car and the insurance, but no accountability, then you're setting your child up to be someone who can't handle stressors and the world is going to be full of stressors. So if a child is given the benefits of adulthood and none of the responsibilities, right? Question, and this is an important one, what incentive remains for them to ever take on the responsibilities? Zero, right? If I can get the car, but I don't have to be accountable with where I go with it, why would you ever want to become responsible, right? Does that make sense? So instead of maturing into adulthood, we've incentivized the perpetuation of adolescence. And that is where we find ourselves in 2022. It's not easy to parent. It's not. In the same way that young people are in uncharted territory these days, so are parents. So parents, it's it's the responsibility not to accommodate, but to shepherd. Question, isn't 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 that the kind of parent God is? Not an accommodator. Not just, hey, you just keep going the way you're going. No, it's a parent who says, you turn from me parched places. Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 5. You turn from me and try to live as if I don't matter, as if if there is no God, you're going to find yourself living in uninhabitable places. But if you'll trust me. So, so, So that was the first question. Why? And there's a whole lot more answers. But for the sake of this morning, let's... Move to second question. Oh, how can we help? How can we help? Well, that's primarily next week's sermon, the two-parter. But I do want to say at least this much. We're in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5, verse number 1. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. What's happening here? Crowds? Disciples are called out. Matthew chapter 7, verse 13. Enter by the narrow gate, 
For the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. Those two verses, those two passages rather, just to see that the Christian life is not lived at a different pace than the world. It's on a completely different course than the world, right? So, so we cannot, cannot take our cues from the world around us. The decisions that we make have to be led by the Holy Spirit, not on the basis of what's just sort of assumed by the world around you that you should do. Matthew 6.21. We're coming in to land the plane for this morning's message. Matthew 6.21. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. And when it comes to the next generation, when it comes to your children, your grandchildren, what you care about most is the heart, isn't it? And who they really are. Jeremiah 17, 9. Let's put it together. The heart is deceitful above all things. What does that mean? Your heart will lie to you about what's a trustworthy treasure, right? Trust in this. Trust in your appearance. Trust in your ability. Trust in your money. And we are living in a generation where it's always been true, but it's revealing to us more and more, those things aren't trustworthy. Anxiety is often rooted in having the wrong treasure, and anxiety is produced when the treasure demonstrates its untrustworthiness. Because all treasures other than Jesus will always demand more and more from you without ever giving you rest. That's what idolatry is. Jesus is the one who says, it's finished. Isn't that great news? In the same way that, you know, when I came home with the stressors in my life as a young person, man, when I got home and closed the door, I just say, in a manner of speaking, when you trust Jesus, you can remember him, take a breath, and say, don't have to worry in Matthew 6 language, what I'm going to wear, what I'm going to put on, what my value is. It's all in him. And I don't need some easy, right answer that I'm trying to offer. But you can't be in two kingdoms at once. No one can serve two masters. So in conclusion, I'd like you to just think about this at least. Given the current pattern and trajectory of my life, am I heading more and more into anxiety or more and more into resting in Jesus? A couple of months ago now, and, and y'all, uh, I think this is true for everybody. There's a lot going on in the world, right? There's a lot going on in the world. That's sufficient enough to cause anxiety. It's just a season of life. A lot going on in the world. A lot going on in my life. Talk about tech. I got this Fitbit, right? And I and I started to notice something on my Fitbit. My talk about resting heart rate, and it it had climbed, like right good bit. 
I said, there must be something wrong with the Fitbit. You know, it's got to be text problem. Let me, let me update it. Updated it, came back. Man, heart rate is elevated. Why? Anxious. Anxious. I had to take a day. Take a breath. And all the things I've been sharing with you from Matthew 6 is where I spent that day. You know what I noticed? In my prayer life, it has, it has shrunk. Fasting, I read this, Matthew 6, 16. When you fast, you notice he says, when you give, when you pray, when you fast. Can I, can I give you a weapon of, to combat anxiety? Fasting. What is fasting? He's putting mostly food, but it doesn't have to be exclusively. Put food aside for a brief period of time to recenter yourself on God and his promises. Some of us, a fast from tech would probably be a good idea. A fast from social media. And not just stop doing that. But we're talking about time displacement. The time invested there, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to memorize Matthew 6. To meditate on his word. So given the current trajectory of my life, am I heading more and more into anxiety or more and more into resting in Jesus? I don't think I would accurately teach the word of God this morning if I said, hey, you just can settle down because times are going to get better. I have no idea that that's going to happen. Things are going to calm down a little bit. It, It may be, friends, that something's around the bend that will make all of us say, Man, 2020, 2021, that wasn't so bad after all, in a manner of speaking. Do you know what I'm saying? I got no, no authority from the Scripture to say that drought's about to end. What I can say on the authority of Scripture is God is powerful. God is mighty. He will not forsake us. When, our, when he is our treasure, you can live with stability in the year of drought. I'm going to invite you to stand. We're going to pray together. And then we have a time of response. The Holy Spirit would lead you to respond in a particular way. It may be to pray with somebody. Hey, I'll stand right here at the front. If you've got a burden, a concern, you want someone to pray with you, it would be my joy to do that. Maybe Jesus has never been your treasure. You have trusted in a thousand other things, and one after the other, they've proven insufficient. They've proven insufficient because they are insufficient. Do you want to turn your life over to Jesus? It'd be my joy to speak with you, to talk to you. Here, hey, in the invitation, before you leave today, I'd love to do that. Maybe you've got a particular concern for somebody who's important to you. They're precious to you. You want to pray for them. The invitation's open for that obviously of course as well Father I I don't know what to do but to ask that um, it's your word more than anything else that um, stays with us today if something I said is not helpful or not accurate or not right I trust the Holy Spirit we're kind of in uncharted territory with, with things related to technology, uh, so powerful. In, in some ways, God, the technology we have today is godlike in, in its scope, and it's so massive without having 
well, uh, the power is nowhere near like yours, but it is powerful. It's stronger than we are, that's for sure. But it doesn't have your corresponding heart for us. So give us grace to make adjustments where they're needed or completely different practices. I'm thankful that we have a Savior who says, do you want to be healed? And he can then really do it. And Jesus